Welcome back to Inclusive and Online with Kate and Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Dan. Today's topic is inclusive course design. Inclusive course design seems like a fairly broad topic, which it is. Just like digital accessibility, which we discussed in our last episode, it can seem like an overwhelming challenge. Our goal for this episode is just to have some general conversation and identify some first steps for listeners to start designing inclusive online courses. Great point, Kate. We don't mean to overwhelm our listeners, but rather offer some initial guidance on the topic. That and offer some practical first steps. That's right. For example, in earlier episodes, we've discussed the importance of correct name pronunciation. We've talked about LGTBQIA plus inclusion and gender identity. Really, each episode we've recorded so far speaks to inclusive course design in some way. I'd like to challenge folks to consider how students with various intersecting identities might experience their online courses. For example, how will a student who identifies as transgender and disabled experience your course? Will they be able to access all of your learning materials? Does your class have relevant examples that include diverse gender identities? Well, there are clearly many things to consider, but that need not be a deterrent to get started now. And to help us out, we're excited to be joined by our friend and former OU ELIS colleague. We'd like to welcome Jess Tess Navarro to the show. Thanks for being here, Jess. Hey there, thanks for having me. So Jess, tell us about yourself and what you've been up to since starting your new position. Yeah, so my name is Jess. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I live in Southeast Michigan in the Detroit metro area. Currently, I work remote for a global company called Domatic. Uh, They focus on automation supply chain. So the courses that I've been working on are quite technical in nature. They're fully online. Um, And as you mentioned, prior to this role, I worked with all of you wonderful people at ELIS, also in an instructional design role. And so I would say that my experience as an instructional designer overall has been pretty evenly split between higher education and various corporate work environments. As an instructional designer, what comes to mind for you when someone says inclusive course design? Yeah, and like you said, this this really can be quite broad, and I think we all bring a very personal, you know, experience to you know what we have in mind with that that type of you know idea or concept. So for me, when I sit down, especially when I'm trying to create a new course, I try to keep in mind or imagine learners with diverse uh, needs and backgrounds. And so as you already mentioned too, I think this overlaps quite a lot with digital accessibility. So I'm really glad that you've started to approach that in a previous episode. Um, I do have to say that often when I think of inclusive course design, I can't help but keep in mind the experiences I've had as a learner in the past in a course or a learning experience that I found somewhat or maybe quite a very uninclusive. Yeah, I can absolutely think of times in my undergraduate education where an instructor would say something that didn't feel inclusive to, you know, for example, um, diverse relationship structures. And that's something where at the time I was very much struggling with accepting myself and my sexuality and hearing those kinds of things um, not represented in my classes was also something that contributed to that struggle. 
Yeah, I think for me, it's, uh, you know, being white, cisgender male, uh, <clears throat> oftentimes the examples we would see in classes would, you know, relate to me because, you know, I, I'm very part of what that, you know, normative society, that idea of it is. So as different aspects of diversity and inclusion started working their way into the curriculum or finding a way into the curriculum, I did notice that. And in further readings and in current times, I, it's pretty clear that there's still a lot of work left to do to, to try and include different perspectives, different work experiences. One example I have is that I, I've not sought out, but I've also not seen in many textbooks uh, in the human resources department, for one, uh, about the experience of a transgender employee and how that works for the organization, how that works for the employee and what that dynamic looks like. Now, that's just one example of, say, a, a step a professor could take or a person could take to try and get a more diverse perspective into their classrooms is to seek out those types of articles. Sure, I was gonna say that I, I feel like these are the types of things that once you're aware of them, it's really hard to unsee them. I can also think of a recent example. Just this last summer, I was taking a Spanish course. It was completely online and a weekly activity we had was to go through these online vocabulary flashcards. And, and this was through like a third party vendor, you know, textbook website. I'm sure that the whole department was required to use. Um, but the topic for that week was, you know, STEM and the sciences very loosely. We were getting introduced to, you know, that type of vocabulary in the Spanish language. And so out of like 100 vocab cards, you know, maybe 30 of them had representations of people because they were, you know, vocabulary words that had to do with, you know, roles or jobs or um, those types of things in STEM and the sciences. But out of those 30 cards... Um, they only represented one woman and one with a black man. Everything else was completely, you know, white men. And as I'm going through these cards, I just felt myself more and more distracted by this lack of representation. And it really took my focus away from the learning experience, which is, I think, what we're trying to avoid when we try to center inclusivity in our course design. Yeah, and I, I do think it's important to, to mention that I don't think that these instructors are doing this intentionally. I think that there are a lot of resources out there that were created that just didn't keep necessarily this inclusivity in mind in their development. And we're not here to criticize anyone. We're not here to tell instructors that they're not doing something right, but we are here to give resources and ideas for instructors who are ready to make these steps and put the effort in to make their courses inclusive. With June being Pride Month, I see a lot more activity on social media centered around, you know, pride in general. And one thing I thought that was an interesting uh, was one of my friends who posted a comment. I don't know if you ever thought any of us would see it was that, you know, relating to sports teams in the Detroit area and that, one of the teams updated their logo to include, you know, a rainbow colored background on it as well. And this person commented, not my friend saying that it's okay. You can be with who you want to be with. You just don't have to cram it down my throat or rub it in my face. And my friend commented back, you mean like how they do with heterosexuality? And I just thought that that was, you know, a really, you know, fun point to see from one of my friends in a, 
a forum I don't typically see him dipping his toes into. So that was, you know, interesting to me is that oftentimes in educational materials, I, I feel the same way in that we see it just really, you know, what we have been taught to be considered the norm is what we almost always see in a lot of the textbooks. And to Kate's point, I don't think that's intentional. I just think that there's more work that needs to be done to create more inclusive educational content. Yeah, and it's great that your friends spoke up, but I definitely think the power dynamic in, you know, the classroom or in courses can make it really difficult for learners or students to feel like they can speak up, even if they are experiencing, you know, something in that learning environment that's excluding them. So we've talked about just kind of different pieces of inclusivity and in, in, in different uh, intersections of identity. Why do you believe that in uh, inclusive course design is important? Yeah, it's important to me, and I think it should be important to anyone who's an instructor or a course designer, instructional designer, you know, all these various titles. You know, censoring inclusivity really is trying to help learners be successful. Successful, I would say it's integral to student or learner success. We all bring our whole selves to the learning experience, whatever it may be. Um, and it never feels good. No one wants to feel exclu excluded or like, you know, part of themselves is being ignored or even disrespected. I think as you know, instructors or people who design course material, we want the stress in the course to be that good type of, stre of stress that we experience when we feel our abilities being stretched or you know, our assumptions being challenged, you know, that good feeling of growth, not that stress of, um, of having our identities somehow you know, misrepresented or disrespected or whatever we may encounter in a non-inclusive course. And I, I do think that you kind of addressed this in your past response, but why should others think that inclusive course design is important? I think they should find it important because it's not obvious, basically. And I think, you know, some of Dan's comments really spoke to that. But I, I think, you know, that's going to be true for any of us, depending on where we, you know, find our identities intersecting, that we all have blind spots, we all have biases, we all have things that aren't obvious to us. And that I think is why it is important to to find this topic important because it's not something that you're going to be aware of, you're going to see at least every version of it naturally. It's something that we have to put work into to become aware of and do better. It's a great point because for me, I can walk into any room and most people say, well, there's kind of a portly white guy walking in right there, but that doesn't really speak to every aspect of my identity or the ways that I you know, could potentially feel uh, included or excluded within that environment. So it's those things that we don't really see or know that sometimes it takes someone a little bit of time and comfort to express, you know, that, that portion of themselves. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's similar to digital accessibility in that we don't know if a learner coming in, you know, has a need for a screen reader uh, or if they need or if they're low vision, whatever you know that may be, but we're really making a determined push to make it so that that student doesn't have to, you know, feel excluded from the learning experience. That this is a place for them in this classroom, in this learning experience at this university. So, uh, I love the point that we have to be mindful of those things that we can't really see in in uh, designing our courses. 
Yeah, I think that's super important. Um, just in the sense that you're being mindful of these things that you can't see. And I think that that's even more prevalent when you're teaching online classes, because then you are getting much less direct face-to-face -face content contact with your students in general as well. Yeah, as the instructor, you can potentially be getting a lot less, you know, feedback, especially through like, you know, potentially facial expressions or, or, you know, verbal participation. I think when our learners or students do give us feedback on this, it's a gift, it should be embraced. But I think, you know, a majority of the time, we're probably not getting that feedback and, and that learner may be, you know, suffering in some silence. So we talk about that classroom experience and educational materials, you know, needing to uh, catch up to that and faculty adopting these types of resources. You know, some might say my textbook uh, already has a chapter on diversity or on women or on culture or on international organizations or, or whatever it may be. It, we already cover that in the book. So what more do I need to do to be inclusive in my course? How would you respond to somebody with this, with this concern? Yeah, I would start by responding by saying that inclusivity shouldn't be a single chapter or a single moment or a single conversation, you know, within a classroom or a learning experience. It really should be permeating the entire experience. Uh, a single chapter in a textbook that's focused on diversity of some kind, it doesn't do anything to prevent the potential harm or burden of a lack of inclusivity in the other chapters of the book, in the other you know, materials that are being included in the course, in the conversations that are being had around class content, around the spaces that these learning experiences are happening. Um, just like we mentioned, you know, we have these, you know, various months out of the year, right? You know, it's Pride Month right now, but um, Pride or Black History Month or Women's History Month, you know, having these month-long events doesn't mean that we are solving, you know, racism, sexism, or homophobia in our society at any time. So really, I would say it's, it's nice to have this, these, um, a single chapter or something be a place to start, but hopefully that's just the beginning. When I hear the word inclusive, I think that means everybody, as we've been talking about. And the concept of trying to address every aspect of human identity in a course can be pretty intimidating. So what would you say to someone who is just getting started with inclusive course design to help alleviate some of that anxiety? Yeah, I would say that everyone starts out overwhelmed if they're approaching this, you know, with good faith and, and good intentions. So, you know, you're not alone. Um, and the good news that there are, I think, a lot of resources out there. So no one needs to feel like they're reinventing the wheel. Um, when it comes to the tools we're using to create our course content or materials, you know, there's a lot of great things like built-in accessibility checkers, you know, that can help ensure your course content is more accessible. There's a lot of great uh, frameworks out there, such as Universal Design for Learning, which I'm sure at one point you guys will probably focus a whole episode on this topic um, for starting to think about how you are going to approach the design of your learning experiences. Um, probably a first great point I would recommend for anyone is to find some type of learning community with their peers to join on this topic. 
Uh, and that could be in person or virtually, but you know, a place you can go and you can hear about what other people have been doing or what their concerns are or you know, what they've encountered or mistakes they've made. Um, I think it's important to just start somewhere and then keep it up of improving your course over time. And most, most importantly is accepting when you start this endeavor that you will mess up, that that's part of the learning process, just the same way we would want any of our students to, you know, accept and learn from their mistakes with some grace. We need to do that too. Yeah. And we've been saying on our podcast as well as we are going to make mistakes. We don't know everything and we're going to do our best to be willing to learn from those mistakes, accept feedback. And I think that that's what everybody needs to do, especially when taking on one of these new challenging endeavors that you've never necessarily thought about before. Absolutely. And kind of taking on to that question, what can instructors do now in order to make their courses more inclusive and just some of the small steps that they can take to contribute to the long-term success of the course and their students? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, obviously doing anything that helps educate yourself as we were talking about proactively on, you know, the barriers to learning that may exist in your course so that you can start working to tear them down um, is great. Some questions you can ask yourself are, you know, are you including diverse voices within your course material, you know, at all levels, whether it's a textbook or your own materials you're creating or things you're pulling in from outside sources the guest speakers that you're including. Um, I would say too, you can ask yourself, have you checked for instances of bias, stereotypes, tokenism, other forms of harmful misrepresentation and done what you can to remove them? Uh, are you ensuring that your learning material is as digitally accessible as possible or are you aware of that? Um, and lastly, I would even say, you know, thinking about are you providing some form of flexibility in your course for how your students or your learners can demonstrate their learning? I think any of those questions is a great place to start to, you know, put some to do's that can help you improve your course. I love those questions. And, you know, if it's all right with you, I think it would be really helpful for our listeners if we could kind of take a bulleted list of that and put it in our show notes for them to reference. Before we move on to our tech tool segment, are there any final thoughts on this that you'd like to share? My final thoughts would be that, you know, just this is something that's really worth doing and that in the end, you will be less stressed as an instructor or course designer. Your students or learners will be less stressed. Uh, your learners will be more authentically motivated to engage with their learning experiences and they'll be able to go farther with their learning. So this is absolutely worth it. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. Um, so typically each of our episodes has a tech tool or two that we highlight for our listeners. Do you have any suggestions for tech tools relating to inclusive course design to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I can think of two of them. The first I did briefly mention previously, which is that there are actually a lot of really great built-in accessibility checkers in the tools that a lot of us use to create our learning material. So for example, you know, that would include Microsoft Word or you know, Google Suite tools like Docs or Slides. Um, you know, those tools are there to help flag potential issues, especially when it comes to digital accessibility. And so definitely you know, get familiar with those and, um, and take advantage of them. 
Secondly, when it comes to trying to have better representation within your course materials, there are a lot of really great free stock photography sites out there. Um, and many of them are targeted to specific uh, disciplines or industries or areas of interest. So some of the ones I've used in the past that I think have been great would be the Gender Spectrum Collection, NAPI, and Women in Color in Tech. But really, there are a lot more out there uh, if you just do a quick Google search. Um, and many of them are free. Well, thank you for sharing you know, that information and for joining us here today. It's always good talking with you. It's It's good to see you and catch up with you and glad that you're doing well. So thanks for being with us today, Jess. Yeah, thanks for having me. I can't wait to hear, you know, all the topics you guys are going to continue to cover in this great podcast. I guarantee you they're all going to be great. We'd like to thank Jess for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Inclusive Online and Instagram at Inclusive Online Pod. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or requests to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to take a look at all of our resources for today's episode linked in the show notes. Please note that we are not endorsing or sponsoring any of the products and tools that we discussed in our show today. We are simply sharing our experiences with using these tools, and we do not receive any compensation for mentioning these tools. Special thanks to our production assistant, Kayla Yuka, and we'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included.